0: hey guys amen all hail king jesus amen that was fun to worship with you guys tonight um hey uh my name's chris again uh if you guys are just plugging in we're gonna be in luke chapter 9 if you've got your bibles go ahead and get them open uh i want to say a couple things we've kind of been walking through this kingdom series let me just review where we've been uh thursday night i got to join you guys on campus that was an amazing night a super fun night and um one of the things that we talked about is how do you enter into the kingdom is it uh, our uh, our merit our spiritual performance or is it god's mercy uh, we all come into the kingdom the same way we rely on a merciful god a god who gives us what we don't deserve he takes away our sins takes our wrath gives us grace then uh, we talked about um, the, the importance of god's word and primarily we talked about mary and martha and the the, the posture in the kingdom is not one duty i've got to go i've got to do i've got to perform i got to uh do more try harder i got to work no What Jesus celebrates in Mary is this posture of worship before work, of sitting at his feet and enjoying his presence, not just trying to flex and perform for him, and then today we talked about what does this king look like as he speaks a better word over us, all right? This word is going to land on our hearts, and it's going to be a distracted heart, a hard heart, or a soft heart that starts to bear fruit from the inside out, so that's kind of where we've been, and tonight I kind of want to get my final talk with you guys, Talking about what, is, what does it look like to be great in the kingdom of God? What does it look like? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And that's what we're going to be looking at. How does Jesus measure greatness, right? Uh, what is the thing that he's looking at that he declares and he celebrates as good? Now, before we get into that, I want to tell kind of one again, one of my top five worst moments of the last year. Um, and so I just would love to share just an absolute fail with you guys. All right. So that's one of my favorite ways to talk uh, and open up uh, sermons. Um, recently you guys through seasons of life where like you're going to go through like where all your friends on social media like get engaged boot up all their engagement photos right if you guys not seen any of that yet that's coming and then you're going to see marriage photos like oh my gosh they all got married and then they're going to see baby photos people taking photos of their kids right like that's the seasons of life but then i'm in a really fun season called where everybody hangs out and and celebrates their 40th birthday it's called like middle middle age celebration so that's kind of where i'm at like we all have like skinny jeans that are feeling a little tighter. You know what I mean? Like that's just where we're at. And so I was at a friend's birthday party and uh, it was his 40th party and he's done really, really well in commercial real estate. Um, and so he, he just started his own company and done really well and made a lot of money. And so um, I, I was expecting I didn't really know what's expected as party. So I go over there. And I'm kind of like his spiritual friend, you know, the guy that he comes to when he's like, my marriage is a hot mess. I need somebody to pray for me, you know? But, um, uh, and so he invites me over to this party and, and I don't know a lot of his friends. And so I'm doing the introduction. And if you're a dude at a birthday party with another guy, like you just, it's kind of already socially awkward, you know, and you do a, the two questions, like, what do you do for a living? And what's your name? And so people start going around, they tell me their name and, and they start sharing kind of what they do for a living. The first guy's like, Hey, I, I'm a CEO of a large food company here in Omaha. I'm like, Oh. That's, I almost did that. I'm pro-food, so, I mean, I feel like we would get along. Uh, we have a lot in common. Next guy's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a partner at an engineering firm. Like, uh, yeah, majority owner of it. We just, we help hospitals with their HVAC systems. Like, that's neat. I love air conditioning. I love it. I'm super pro, both hospitals and air conditioning. And you're just like hoping somebody dropped out of high school. Can you just be like, can somebody be that guy? And then, you know, it, it, the next guy goes, I'm the largest builder of, of commercial real estate in Omaha. That's kind of what I do. I have a commercial building company. So I'm like, oh, that's neat. So I'm already feeling like that's that's great. Okay, so I'm here. And uh, they're like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I said, I'm a pastor. And then I paused. And I was like, of oh, like a... Like a big church, like um, <laughs> like there's no snake handling at our church. Like people come and it, it's a really cool church. Like we don't have hula hoop dancers, you know. It's like a super good church that a lot of people come to. And later on, you know, conversation moved on and nobody asked any more questions. But uh, later on in the car, I get in the car and my wife is talking to me. She looks at me, and says like, "What was that?" And I was like what are you talking about what was that because i knew there were so many things i did wrong like i'm not gonna out myself right like you don't give her away so i'm like well which one are you talking about you know and in back of my mind i'm like actually honey like if we're gonna just talk about some things like i didn't swear i kept my shirt on like what else do you want you know like i only had one dessert what are you upset about right now woman you know like that whole thing so she said um chris like you were so intimidated by those guys like They had all done cool things. They had big, fancy titles. You felt like you needed to tell people that you were part of a big church. Like, what was that? You're like name dropping the size of your church and just acting like you're some mega church pastor, and that's not okay. You don't need to measure up to those guys. God loves you not based on what you've done or what your title is or what company you work for. God loves you the way you are, so be secure in that. And I said, get out of this vehicle right now. (laughs) We're done. No, I'm joking. Uh, I hate when she's right, but she was 100% right. And um, I just want to confess to you guys, sometimes I feel this weird desire to like name drop. Can I do that? Like, uh, and I want people to know that I know people that are important, that play on certain teams, that have certain jobs, that work in certain places, and they have status. And by knowing them, that gives me status, right? Uh, sometimes I want to tell stories that don't just glorify God, but that draw attention to how God has uniquely used me so that you don't just think much about God, but you think much about me. Can I say that? Um, sometimes I have to check my motives. Like, what am I really bragging on? Um, and I have a problem. So what I'm trying to let you guys know is I have a problem. It's called pride, right? It's this self-focus. And since sin entered the world, instead of being God-focused, others-focused, we're inward-focused. Do you guys know what that word sin takes you? It makes us reject God, be skeptical of God, distant from other people, and inward-focused about self. That's the effect of sin. And we start to live for self Glory. I wonder if you've ever seen the self-centeredness in your own heart, self-glory, self-promoting, self-protecting stuff in your heart. I wonder if you've ever been tempted to tell a story in a way that would make you look better than you really are. Have you ever name-dropped, let people know that you play on that team, that you date that person, that you're friends with that get person, that that you got invited to that party? Have you ever been really, really excited, almost puffed up with pride when you could tell people, "I got into that college, I got into that marriage, I got into or that? not you didn't get into that marriage. Maybe not." Um, <laughs> But you got into that program, right? That that program, whatever that was. Have you ever felt this sense of pride? If they only knew my title, if they only knew my status, then they would really understand how valuable I am. Well, salt, so, like we've been called to not live like this. Like living to show the world that we are great is not just a small sin, right? We, as Jesus's people, have been called not to spend our lives promoting ourselves or trying to compare and compete ourselves to other people, but to work, um, really show people a picture of the gospel where Jesus worked himself from uh, the top to the very bottom. So if we don't check our hearts, I just think it's incredibly possible for us to come to things like this and sing All Hail King Jesus and to sing it out with all passion, emotion, and seriousness, and then turn around and get in our cars and then go back into the arenas of our life and say, Everybody Hail Me i want to be the king of my own kingdom i want my parents to think i'm awesome i want the professors to think i'm brilliant i want the coaches to see how athletic and awesome i am i want my boo thing to be impressed by me i want all of the glory for me right this is the game that we can play and it's in this place that jesus is going to talk to the disciples because believe it or not this is not a new game like the disciples are hanging with the king of all kings And they start to have an argument about which one of them is the greatest and they are still going to um, measure greatness by power and position and popularity and status and how high you've climbed that's how they're going to measure greatness and they're going to have an argument about which one of them is the greatest and let me just give you a little um understanding of how the world has shaped and formed you apart from the gospel okay so our world our society our culture is going to tell you that you're great um, if you're measured between the distance of where you started and where you finish in life, so if, if you start broke but you end rich, you're great. You should write a book. If you start with no friends and you end up extraordinarily popular and famous, then you're a something, right? If you start with with absolutely no status and you end with power in political arenas, then you've done something great. If you started as this uncoordinated baby and you became an incredible athlete, you've done something, right? Now, if you, if you came into the world super rich and you went broke, nobody cares. Don't nobody want to read that book, right? Here's 16 ways to be broke. Nobody wants to read that book. Did you download that PDF this week? No, right? Nobody did that because we're all looking for the tips to become awesome. We got to work from the bottom to the top, right? We, this is how we measure greatness. Is that how Jesus measures greatness? Is that his life pattern? Some of y'all Bible people need to look at Philippians chapter two and look at the pattern in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. Here's what it talks about: that he was God, and what he came to do is he came. He didn't consider uh, uh, equality with God the thing to be grasped, and he actually worked himself down, put on flesh, stepped into his own creation, made himself rejectable, made himself in a place where he could suffer. And then he didn't just walk around as this silver spoon baby. Because he was homeless, poor, rejected by his very people he had created. He was of no stature and no status. Isaiah said people looked at him with pity because he looked like a dry root. If you think Jesus was the sexiest man alive, that wasn't Jesus. His external form had nothing that drew you in. It was his character that did so here's jesus he comes down he's born to this blue collar family in the middle of nowhere right he walks around as a carpenter's kid and he has no status no external beauty and then what he does is he dies the most humiliating death that humanity had at that time death on a cross next to two roman strung up criminals painful and humiliating people would walk by and mock you that's jesus christ He worked himself from the very top to the very bottom, and why did he do it? He did it so you could be set free from leaving from you, but you could live for a king and live in a kingdom that is life and freedom and joy and no longer focused on me, 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 because, guys, that's death. That's death. Even if you get everything you want, it will be empty. Celebrities crushing in Hollywood, you feel like they're super secure? Or even though with all the money and all the fame, is there an emptiness that they're chasing? I'm telling you right now, Jesus has come to set you free. This is our amazing king. If you look at his life, how did he live? He was the greatest one in human history, and yet he didn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse but on a small donkey. He didn't eat with the wealthy or the religious position but with the prostitute and the former demon-possessed. That's our Jesus. Jesus. And he is inviting us as we enter into his kingdom by faith to pattern our lives after this king and to participate in this kingdom. So what does Jesus have to teach us about what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God? He's going to break into this argument and teach us a couple things. I have two things I want to show you guys, okay? The first is that greatness in Jesus' kingdom is marked by serving other people, right? The world is going to say, you are great Um If you can get other people to serve you, Jesus' kingdom is going to say, this is what it looks like to give your life in service to other people. Here it is, verse 46. It says this, uh, chapter 9. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. So you need to know that Jesus has been with his disciples for over a year now. And at this point, Jesus is incredibly popular with people. People love Jesus's miracles. Word has gotten out about the power of Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, crowds follow. He's trending on Twitter. People want to see and experience Jesus. And the disciples know some things. They've observed some things. They have observed that King Jesus can defeat the devil. Like every demonic thing that has happened, Jesus has had flexed on the devil and he has cast the demonic out. What they know is Jesus is an incredible miracle worker. He has power over creation. He spoke to a storm and it hushed and it went still. This is Jesus. He has been undefeated, not just against creation and the demonic, but he's been undefeated against Pharisees that try to beat him in some kind of an argument. He has operated with all power and authority because he's a king of heaven that has stepped down and come into this place and so he is with them and now the disciples are thinking to themselves where is this going jesus just told us we're walking towards jerusalem it's only a matter of time this jesus is clearly the one that the old testament has has appointed to and he's going to march into jerusalem and what he's going to do he's going to overthrow the roman authorities he's going to set up his earthly kingdom he's going to take possession of the temple and of all the castles and he's going to install a brand new leadership cabinet and who's going to be in that cabinet the disciples and the question on their table in their mind is which one of us is going to have the highest position of authority who's going to get the largest role the highest seat of honor that's the question that they're having and Jesus already told them I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and take on the cross but they're blind to this because they don't want a suffering king they want a king of glory and comfort and of power and of position and they're still blind to see what kind of a king this king is So the disciples start arguing about who's the greatest because they want to know who's going to have the biggest role when Jesus sets up his kingdom. Have you ever, uh, have you uh, have to, uh, and you have to ask, like, how did they get here? Can we just ask, like, how do these men get to a point where they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest? Two things, I think. Right before this text, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the disciples in pairs of two to do ministry for the very first time. So he sends them out to preach and proclaim the gospel. He sends them out with uh, the Spirit's power to perform miracles that would validate the power of Jesus Christ. And they see God do amazing things through them. Have you ever been tempted with pride after you have a spiritual high? That's exactly where these guys are at. And then after that, Jesus takes three of the disciples up to a place um, where there's this transfiguration. And the Father speaks uh, to Jesus. And there's this amazing display of his glory And three of the disciples come down while the other nine are at the foot of this mountain. And it says that Jesus comes across them. And these other nine that didn't get invited to go up the mountain, they're struggling to figure out how to cast out this demon because they're operating in a prayerless posture. But they can't figure it out. So Jesus has to step in and flex. So you can see this is an arena that is ripe for comparison, right? Now, all of a sudden, the disciples start arguing about which one of them is the greatest because now there's this division right? Hey, you didn't get invited on the up the mountain, see God's glory trip. Um, And we came down the mountain and you couldn't even figure out the casting out of the demon, right? That's the, that's this conversation. Which one of us is greater? Let's compare our ministry highlight stories. You should have seen the way I preached when I was doing ministry. You should have seen the way I healed when I was doing ministry. So there's this comparison because there's inward focus. That's where these guys are are at. And Jesus is going to say, guys, this is not okay. This is not how my kingdom should work, right? And so he's going to step in and actually uh, speak to them about and define to them what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. Let me just pause before I read verse 47 and say, when you allow pride to go unchecked in your ministry, it is only a matter of time until you have division. Look at what happens when pride, self-centered, comparison, it starts to shape and form a spiritually toxic environment where it's no longer, guys, they're in the presence of the greatest one ever, King Jesus, and they're bickering like four year olds about which one of them's the best. This is a really immature posture, but I've unfortunately seen it happen in churches. Which preacher's the best preacher? Which leader's the best leader? Which elder's the richest elder? Which person has the most power? Which person is the most influential? And now we start comparing and contrasting and sizing each other up and measuring ourselves against one another instead of keeping our focus on all hail King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Look at verse 47. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whomever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. Jesus sees the fighting, and he uses this little object lesson, right? He gets a child, and he says, hey, guys, 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 here's the true test of greatness. Here's your true understanding. Like, this is actually going to mark, if you understand my kingdom, is this. How do you receive this child? What are you going to do with this child that's sitting right next to you? See, in this context, children weren't just cute. They weren't just trophies of mom and dad. They weren't just nice little creatures that, that were marked by innocent. Children had extraordinarily low status in the Roman Empire. First of all, most kids died of disease. So to invest in a child was super risky because they most likely were going to die. Small children were dependent. They needed your constant help doing everything. They needed to be fed, taught, cleaned, protected, dressed, helped using the restroom. They are not strong or educated. And so people um, avoided children, Children, um, babysitting children, raising children, teaching children, caring for children. That was outsourced to the lowest of slaves. So that's how this society was set up. Jesus takes the child, and he says, no, 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 no. It's not about how you're going to position yourself in power. It's not about how you're going to sit in a place of honor. It's not how you're going to work your way from being an outsider socially to being the most popular person in the ministry. That's not what we're celebrating here. What we're celebrating here, what this kind of kingdom needs to be, is how do you relate to the lowly? How do you receive the broken, the outcast, the socially weird, the needy, those who can't offer you any status, wealth, or even an easy conversation, how do you move to those people? How do you relate to those people? That's truly the test of whether you understand this upside-down kingdom. See, relating to the lowly is rightfully a high value in Jesus' kingdom because this is how Jesus relates to us, is it not? Jesus, the prince of heaven, has already shown us how he has moved towards the needy in the pattern of his life. But guys, we come like a child into the kingdom of God. Do we not isn't the bible awesome about this like he never says that you come as the strong one as a gifted god to the one with a big spiritual resume the one that's going to change the whole world because you're so great that's not how you come into heaven and that's not how you come into a relationship with jesus christ you come spiritually dead spiritually dirty spiritually broken spiritually needy and what does the god of the universe do to you make you clean make you alive father you adopt you into his family say i will provide and protect you i will instruct you in wisdom i will discipline you when you have need this is the god that we worship we come into the kingdom lowly and what does god do love us in a posture of lowliness and so jesus is saying if this is how i the prince of heaven have dealt with you that is how you should move towards one another and then he redefines greatness did you guys see this he says this he says for those who is the least among you is the one who is greatest so he's reversing the greatness. He said, listen, if you have five words to describe greatness, what would you guys say? Right? If you had to take an exam in class and say greatness is measured by this, what would you say? Somebody who has lots of talents and gifts, somebody who has lots of things, somebody who has done and accomplished great things, someone who's strong and insightful and wise, maybe somebody who has power and position who everybody else serves, somebody who owns a yacht. I don't know. How do you define greatness? Greatness. Jesus says whoever is in a posture of a servant, whoever's least, whoever's saying it's not about me, it's about God's glory and others' blessing, that one is great. Stack some chairs and be great. Serve somebody and be great. Listen to somebody's problems and be great. Pray for somebody and be great. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. How counterintuitive is this? This doesn't fit in America. This doesn't fit in the world. This king is calling you to be very, very, very different. And we need this king, do we not? Because without this king, we are fighting to prove to the world that we deserve to be king. Put me in power. Let me lead. You serve, and I'll let you serve. No, 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 no. Listen, I'm the primary leader of my family, and I run at dirty diapers. I discipline our kids. I love and listen to my wife. I because i'm in a place of spiritual leadership in my home doesn't mean that I say honey I'm, so i'm home Feel free to bless me and serve me today No, I said no, no, no what needs to get done and how can I help right This is this is the posture of the kingdom You run towards the needy and weak and the broken a couple things I want to celebrate here Is um, just how i've seen this in you guys since i've been here So, um, sometimes I want to press in and call you to repent and sometimes I want to just celebrate what I see and so, um this is really, really awesome. When um, Even just over the last couple of days, I've just seen you guys serve each other. I've seen you guys receive. Uh, first of all, my son, who's 10, is amazing, and you've truly received a child. So thank you. Give your <laughs> guys a round of applause. He feels very loved here. He doesn't even want to come back to Nebraska, so I just, I don't, we're going to raffle him off tonight, and you get to permanently keep him, okay? We'll send you guys some checks every once in a while. Um, I want to say thank you. Uh, Jalil say that one yeah so say it again say it again Jalil got it that's it grace on me thank you I'm trying I'm trying so uh what I appreciate is obviously you guys know if you guys were at St. Thomas there was an incident that happened on campus where somebody used the word they shouldn't have used okay and there's a ton of responses that could have happened in that moment right so I walk up I don't know any of these guys I'm just meeting them I'm excited to be in the room I'm excited to get to preach. I've been in my car six hours thinking about how I got to preach to you guys. So I was fired up. And then Tony, three seconds before I go up on stage is like, hey, by the way, we had like a racial incident. So you're kind of coming into a little bit of a hot mess. I'm like, super great. Thank you so much, Tony. What a blessing this is for me today. But what I saw in you, man, is you were the very first person to say, you know what? Jesus Christ has forgiven me. I'm going to forgive him. Like God's shown me mercy. So I'm going to show mercy. And I'm going to let him know it's not okay. Okay. But I'm also not going to get violent and angry and put on bitterness and unforgiveness. Like, how you receive the least of these, right, that's a measure of greatness. And I just want to say that was a picture of the kingdom, man. Like, in the kingdom, the guilty are forgiven. And that's easy to say and receive. It's hard to do when you've been sinned against. I just want to say thank you for being a kingdom, man. Celebrate God's grace on you, man. It's evidence that Jesus Christ is in that broken body. Amen? Amen. So... Um, what I saw today is just amazing pictures of this. Last night, Grace uh, got up, again, shared some hard stuff about her life, and people moved towards her, not away from her. They received someone who was weak and lowly. What's up, you guys? Welcome in, football players in the house. Congratulations on that dove tonight. Um, I could go on and on, but I just want to say I've seen this uh, from the staff who are here serving, doing everything they can to to bless you guys, to a girl that came by and picked up my plate. I just want to say thank you. That's a beautiful picture of being great in the kingdom of God. There's no job too high and no job too low, right? Pride can hit you in two ways. Pride can be like, listen, I could never do that because I feel inferior. Don't put that on you. Christ might want to use you in bigger ways than me or anyone else in this room and be okay with that, right? But pride can Get you to a place where you feel superior to jobs that are below you and if if serving is below you right then leading in the kingdom is beyond you you can't do it this is what it looks like to be leaders in the kingdom we serve we run at the worst and we receive the broken second thing i want to show you is the greatness in jesus's kingdom is marked by celebrating god's grace on others we celebrate god's grace on others so the first conflict with these disciples happen internally, right? They're arguing about which one of us is awesome, which one is the greatest, which one's the most talented, right? That's the inner conversation with the disciples. But now you're gonna see their pride in the way that they interact with external people, right? They're gonna come across somebody who's doing ministry that's not in their selective inner circle and their inner group. And they're gonna say, shut that ministry down because we're not a part of it. And they're gonna get jealous and bitter and frustrated that God's using somebody else and not them. So let me show you this, verse 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow uh, with us. So again, I don't know where this guy came from, right? I, I don't know how he learned how to do ministry, but he's some kind of freelance guy who starts a ministry, and he's casting out demons, and maybe he saw Jesus do it. Maybe he heard the disciples preach, and he just started imitating them. I don't know where he learned how to do this ministry or where he got this power. The Bible doesn't answer that question. But it does say that the disciples came across them, and their immediate reaction wasn't praise be to God that God is using someone to advance the kingdom. Their primary response is, sir, you have to stop that. Time out. Shut it down. I got to see your paperwork, <laughs> right? That's these guys. And I can only imagine this conversation, right? You've got to shut your ministry down. Well, why? Well, you're not a part of our group. And he had to be thinking like, but I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. People literally who are oppressed by demonic activity are being set free. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, basically, Jesus is wanting to use us. We're the primary group right now. We're a big deal. We're the only ones allowed to do this kind of thing, and you clearly haven't gone to the right Bible college or the right seminary or completed the right courses online, and so I'm going to need you to take a time out and leave us to do all the real ministry. See, pride says I need to be at the center of things. I need to be God's plan A. I need to be the hero of the story. God should be working, but he should be working through me. God should be blessing, but he should be blessing me. And I wonder... Have you ever um, kind of felt sad or angry because God was using someone else to do his work? H- have you ever been in that place where you look at a different church, and you're like, man, that church is blowing up, and ours isn't, and you got frustrated, and you maybe you looked at somebody else's like discipleship group, and their little investment of others, and you're like, I can barely get three people to show up, and that person has 20. God, why are you using them, and you're not using me? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever looked at other ministries, Right? And you're like, that guy's so different, right? Like that guy is too traditional. It's amazing how we judge churches and Christians because we judge them based on two extremes. They're either too charismatic or too traditional, right? They're too too expressive or not expressive enough, right? They sing too loud and they got laser beams or there's no life and they're just statues. Like we can judge churches on either side. And what we do is we say what we're really saying is we've figured out the right way to do ministry. We've really got it down we we've got the playbook we've got the brand we're the salt network we're the salt company guys jesus doesn't care one lick about that and i can tell you right now in heaven nobody's going to be singing about how great salt is salt will be forgotten city light church will be forgotten you know who will be actually lifted up jesus christ the king of all kings worthy is the lamb who was slain all the buildings that we've bought and remodeled we planted one church We now have 17 churches from Orlando to Omaha and all over. Guys, all of those will be filled with different preachers that have never met me and I never know. 100 years, those buildings won't be owned by City Light or Salt Company. Somebody else, my only hope is preaching this timeless word to a new generation and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. All of the churches that Paul planted are dead. But the Big C Church continues. Amen? So God, would God use someone? You know john the baptist said this when jesus came jesus was come on the scene he got baptized and john had a really big ministry john was preaching out in the desert people were leaving the city of jerusalem a very comfortable city to come out in the middle of the wilderness okay they're coming out to the sticks like this you don't come out here for comfort okay so so why would they leave the city well john the baptist was preaching truth and he was calling people to repent of their sin and he gathered a crowd and he was baptizing people and and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He gets baptized, and the disciples of John say, "Hey, everybody's going to follow this Jesus guy. Are you a little afraid that everybody that's been following you is now leaving your tribe and they're going to Jesus's church thing?" And he says, I, "May I decrease and may he increase." There's this posture of, "I don't really care. That's Jesus Christ. If he wants to use him, use him." I love Paul in the New Testament. He gets locked up, <laughs> right? And they're writing him in the early church and they're saying, "Paul, we've got a big problem in the church. You're gone. There's a leadership vacuum." Instead of, we didn't know who to let preach, there's some other people preaching, but we get the sense that they're not preaching for pure motives, they're preaching for money and profit. What do you want us to do, Paul? And his thought was, you know what, maybe this is the very thing God has chosen to do so that I can get out of the way and a new generation of gospel preachers could be raised up. If the gospel is going forth, by all God, by all means, may it be. And I love that. I love that posture. Um, He's just saying, move the kingdom, go forward. So you can see a humility in Paul, a humility in John the Baptist. The disciples, on the other hand, they are judgmental. They're saying, shut it down. God, use me. And I think one of the tests of pride in our lives is when we see God blessing on others in ways that we wanted to be blessed, and we get frustrated. What happens in our heart? Do we clap? Do we celebrate? Or do we get frustrated by that reality? Um, There's so many things I could say here, but this is especially easy in college ministry, especially in the season of Um, social media where we can open up our phones and be like oh my gosh at Iowa State they had a thousand freshmen are you kidding me why do we not have a thousand freshmen right Uh, you can open up your phone and and compare yourself to all the other amazing ministries recently I had a friend who let me know that he was going to be planting a church in our city really good friend of mine multi-ethnic leader played basketball against him in high school I love him my son and his son played basketball on the same team we couldn't be more for each other I love this guy but you know what he said i'm going to plant a brand new church in omaha and i had two thoughts awesome praise god we need more leaders in our city that will make much of jesus second thought how many people are going to leave our church third thought if i promote it on social media does this just open the floodgates of people leaving my church and going to his church and i made the decision of saying i don't care i'm celebrating this brother's ministry I'm going to champion him him, and I'm going to tell people to pray for him and I'm going to tell people if they want to go to his church, then go to his church. Because you know what I believe? It is better to give than to receive and God's got me. He's got me. And so if God chooses to use him in greater ways, all the more would God get the glory. Because at the end of the day, it's about King Jesus. Not me, City Light Church, you, or Salt Company, whatever this thing is. It's about playing your role in his kingdom. So I want us to invite us again. What do we do? Well, if you've been living for your own greatness, your own name, your own fame, your own reputation, and by the way, you can do that in ministry, not just sports and academics and other arenas. You can do this in ministry. You can try to build a name and glory for yourself in ministry, and it's toxic, and it's self-glorification, and it's sin. And if that's you, if you're doing this thing because you want the affirmation of the leaders and you want everybody to think that you're great, would you repent tonight? To be great in the kingdom and say, I want to serve and make much of Jesus, not use the ministry to make much of me. Second, if you're, you're here today, um, I just want to ask you, like, what would happen in your campus or in your city or in your family if we didn't just promote a humble king, but we actually displayed that kind of humility and compassion in our homes? Guys, there is kingdom moments before you. So one of them is, is Paxton plays on a football team, my son. And when I go to football games, it's really interesting when you're an adult. And I'm giving you this example because I believe these kind of rooms and environments exist on your campus and in your life. So when I'm a dad, we live in a suburban context. I get an opportunity to go and sit anywhere I want. I can sit with the lawyer and his wife. I can sit with the doctor couple. I can sit with these people. And there's this one family that is going through a divorce. And the wife is sitting over here. The husband is sitting with his new girlfriend. She's in tears, and she's trying to hide it as she watches her son play football. Right? The guy's just boasting he's got his new trophy girl. Right? He's almost proven to her, hey, see, I moved on. Where do you go sit? Where do you go sit as a Christian? Want to go hang out with the cool, popular, suburban kids? Network with the powerful people? No, you walk over to that single mom, and you sit with her, and you cover her shame. That's what you do. That's a kingdom moment. Now, I've told you I've done a lot of bad things, but the Spirit of God helped me get that one right, all right? And it was an awesome kingdom moment, and that's what I'm trying to teach you guys. King Jesus is your king. He's the leader of your life. Where he's going to lead you is to see people like him sitting at football games, see people like Grace in your context, to see the guy who said the racist comment and say, I still forgive you. That's where King Jesus will lead you. I don't know about you, but I want to be around that king. I want to surrender my life to that king. So if you haven't done that, let's talk about that. If you have, would you continue to bow a knee to King Jesus? Some of you guys have career aspirations. Some of you guys have your whole life planned out. I'm going to graduate, I'm going to meet this person, I'm going to get married, I'm going to do the church thing, I'm going to make enough money to retire and be comfortable. What if King Jesus has a better story for your life? Will you surrender to him? What if he wants all that? What if he wants all that? What if you say, God, you can send me anywhere you want, corporate America or the jungles of the Amazon, but if I have you, I have enough. What I want from my life is to serve your kingdom, whatever context that is. I want that. Because I am a mega church pastor. <laughs> and every single year I pray, God, I'll walk away from any of this and all of this in a half a second if you call me to. You want me to start over in a new city? I will. You want me to sell real estate? I will. You want me to do something else that would be a total status change, give up the title, whatever it is? I will. My life is before you. That's all I want. Would you surrender that king today? Let me pray right now. Jesus, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your crazy grace on our lives. I want to say thank you that you're a faithful king that doesn't come and again say, come die for me, but you've come from heaven to die on the cross for our sins, to take on the wrath of God so that we could be set free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed. Thank you, God, for being that kind of king. Thank you for being a king that doesn't say, come and serve me, come and serve me, come and serve me, but you first say Let me come and serve you. Let me give my life as a ransom for you. Jesus, this is the kind of king that you are. You are a humble king, a king that rides on the back of a donkey, not a war horse. You're a king that washes feet and walks with sinners and sleeps next to the homeless. God, you're that kind of a king, and we love you, and we want to be a part of your kingdom. And so, God, I just want to pray for the Christians in this room that we wouldn't give lip service to you being our king, but that we would actually let you sit on the throne of our lives and invite us more deeply into your kingdom life. In the kingdom, there is life for every tribe, tongue, and nation. In the kingdom, there's forgiveness for the guilty. In the, in the kingdom, God, the weak aren't pressed out. The king, in the kingdom, the weak are loved and served and, and cared for and nurtured. God, in the kingdom, we don't just have eyes for people who can give us something. We have eyes for people that we can serve and bless so God would you help us to participate in your kingdom now would you rule and reign in our hearts would you help us to display the kingdom in tangible ways in our families in our campus God and and, in the people we live work and play with our sports teams our classrooms God would we have eyes to see how we can display your kingdom receive the worst serve in great ways become the least run towards the bottom God would you lead us into that kind of kingdom god for those who aren't yet christians i want to pray i want to invite people in this room to do business with you tonight i just wonder if you've been pursuing people if you've been speaking to them whispering trying to invite them to give away their guilt and their shame their pride their arrogance their self-reliance their lust whatever it is they're carrying god i wonder god are you knocking on people's hearts tonight i just want to say students this is a holy moment between you and god If you have not received King Jesus, you do not know your sins are forgiven. You have not felt the joy that he ushers into your heart. You've acknowledged him, thought about him, studied his book, heard sermons like this, but never in your heart or heart said, God, you're welcome to be my king. The invitation is to do it tonight. Would you pray with me if this is your desire of your heart? Jesus, I acknowledge you as Savior and Lord. I welcome you to be the king of my life. You are the king who came to take away my sin, to take my shame, and to lead me into a path of everlasting life. Jesus, lead me to abundant life now. Jesus, you're welcome to rule and reign. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.